There was a study that they deprived men of sleep of less than five hours, multiple days. So it was a consistent sleep deprivation. I believe they did it for more than two weeks of four to five hours of sleep. So they deprived those men of sleep and they saw that their testosterone levels plummeted. And when they got them to sleep seven hours, their testosterone increased equivalent to what they would get if they had exogenous testosterone injections. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Dr. Emily Kybert here with Muscle Medicine Podcast. Today we sit down with Dr. Ralph Esposito. He is a naturopathic physician, a licensed acupuncturist, and a functional medicine practitioner. And believe me, that is a lot of years of school, and it's a very rare find to come across a practitioner with this much experience in so many different disciplines. Dr. Esposito specializes in hormones, integrative urology, and men's health. We sit down and talk about low testosterone. Men, especially those New York City men who are driven, type A, burning the candle at both ends, this one's for you. We dive deep into the symptoms of low testosterone, what it feels and looks like in the body, what blood work a traditional doctor would order, what they should be ordering, which is the Ralph protocol, and how to treat low T. And I'm gonna give you a little secret. The first line of treatment shouldn't be a cream, which is what the typical treatment is. I know we have a lot of female listeners, but this one still applies for you, for your boyfriend, your husband, your man, and their overall health. Ralph has this great brain that understands complex hormone thyroid pathways, but describes them in such a simple and easy way to understand. Enjoy. If you feel like muscle medicine is adding value, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this episode. Ralph, thank you for being on Muscle Medicine. So excited to have you. I'm super excited. I can't wait to delve into (laughs) everything with you. Let's dive in. I feel like just doing a little research on you, you are very much like me. You knew what you wanted to do very early on in life. How did you come to a naturopathic and acupuncture and functional medicine practice? Yeah. So I, I never planned all of this, but I am grateful how everything just perfectly fell into my lap. I knew I wanted to be a naturopathic physician when I was maybe like 17. And most people would be like, oh, I want to be a doctor. And I was like, I want to do that too, but I want to be a naturopathic physician because when I, okay, let me preface this with this one other thing. I'm stubborn as hell. Like I am very- You're Italian. Hello. Who would have guessed, right? (laughs) Esposito, last name. I'm very, very stubborn. And when I was maybe about six or seven years old, I was this chunky little fat Italian kid who was fed pancakes with chocolate chips, like bacon, sausage, hot dogs. My cousins used to tell me, Ralph, what you have for breakfast? Hot dogs and hamburgers. And like, they were not wrong. <laughs> they certainly were not wrong. So Cannolis, that was, like the traditional stuff too? Oh yeah. I mean, obviously that was the, you know, like the cherry on top, but I was just like a fat little kid, right? My mom was, my parents are Italian immigrants here from Italy. Like my mom would tell me like they had bread and water for breakfast when they were in Italy. So for them to come here and say, I want to feed my son everything. It's like, oh, okay, good. And he's going to be big and strong and he's going to be huge and I'm big and strong, but now I'm big and strong in the healthy ways. And before I was just big and strong because I was big. (laughs) You would never know looking at you that that was your childhood. Oh, I was 16, 230 pounds. Stop it. Yeah. You would never know. I know. I know. So the reason why it happened is because when I was like maybe five or six years old, actually around seven, my father had two heart attacks uh, in 1997. And during that time, I was going to the, my mom was taking me to the doctor and I had high cholesterol at a seven-year-old, like maybe like 240, 250 as a seven-year-old, seven-year-old, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And my mom, uh, the doctor told my mom, he said, if your husband had two heart attacks by the age of 40, I think my dad was 47, your son is going to have a heart attack at 37. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wake up call. Yeah. Really nice scary. And yeah. And my mom was like, oh, okay. So now we're going to give him juice and like whole wheat pancakes. And I'm like, well, we all know that's BS now. Right. Right. So I was just like, okay, well that's, I, and I always thought medicine would always help me. Medicine would always cure me. Like medicine saved my dad's life twice. And now my father, although he's still alive is pretty much suffering because nobody was able to reverse his illness. They just put a bandaid on top of everything. Right. And as I got older, I was like, okay, I started realizing, and I was like, well, I'm very naive to believe that medicine could cure anything with just a pill or go to the doctor and like, they'll cut it out or cut it in or whatever. And so I realized that actually naturopathic medicine is the way to genuinely cure and heal the body using nutrition, diet, lifestyle, supplements, pharmaceuticals when necessary, surgery when necessary. How did you hear about it when you were 17, though? I just basically was hanging around a lot of health food stores. And I would, yeah, I would go to a health food store and there was a guy there. He's, I was like, he's like, oh, I'm a nutritionist. I remember his name is Dr. Brian Canner. He's like, oh, I'm a nutritionist. And he had his doctorate as well. And he's like, you should become a naturopathic physician. This is what you should do. You should go there. This is what you want. And I looked into it. I was like, yeah, this is absolutely what I want. I want to be able to heal people because I wanted to really just get my new PhD in nutrition. I was like, okay, that's as close as I'm going to get to this. And now I realized, no, you could be a clinical doctor in medicine with, you know, naturopathic background. So, and then I was, you know, the stubbornness of me was like, I'm going to prove everybody that I can reverse all of this. Like, I'm going to figure out how to do this the real way and like naturally, naturally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I came. And then when I was an undergrad, uh, I was majoring in nutrition and dietetics. I was going to be an RD. I was going to be a dietitian. And I quickly put the brakes on that, like towards my third year of, of undergrad, where I basically just emailed this doctor at NYU, Dr. Gio Espinoza, who's a naturopath and acupuncturist. And I said, Hey, I like what you do. And you're at NYU. Can I just meet you? Like, I just want to ask you, like, pick your brain. And he basically like took me under his wing. He's like, Hey, let's do research together. Let's like write for a few papers. You come in and you start shadowing me and learning from me. So basically, since I was 20, I've been like involved in this field, just writing and reading and writing and doing a bunch of other things. I remember times like I I was in med school at a naturopathic school. And I, by the time I was done with ND school, I think I authored three textbook chapters, which was pretty cool. Wild. Totally wild. What made you put the brakes on in year three of dietetic? Oh, well, because a lot of my professors were telling me like, herbs are bad herbs are dangerous don't use herbs like supplements don't work and i i was like okay i appreciate your opinion but let's look at the facts right let's look at the statistics let's look at the data right the research and it's pretty clear that's a lot of good research around a lot of these supplements like for example curcumin and protecting against alzheimer's or basically any other inflammatory condition so when i saw that dietetics was one of my professors i'll keep the name private she I remember her saying, she said, you can't give chamomile to a pregnant woman. And I'm thinking to myself. Because? she's it, It's harmful. It's dangerous. It's going to, like, it could be unsafe. And I was just like, well, you don't know that for a fact. So that really, like, pushed my buttons and I'm stubborn. And I was just like, oh, really? Okay, let me show you. And now I'm here and I'm like, hey, remember me? <laughs> Let me show you. Right. All right. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then working with Geo, I just became infatuated with men's health and urology. And I really have a soft spot for hormones. Like it's just, that's how my brain works. You know, some people are really good at math. Some people are really good at writing. Some people like left brain, right brain. They're artistic. You know, this painting that I, I can't draw for my life, but I can memorize pathways as if it was... You know, like you woke up and saw it every day. Pathways are not easy. They are very intricate, I think. Yes, they are. And I'm blessed to be able to think in that model, I think. I don't know. Yeah. So who's uh, the clientele that you see a lot of? So mostly men. Yeah. And definitely men who are dealing. And it's funny because men and even women, you can't understand male hormones without also understanding female hormones, but you need to understand the differences in them, right? Different ranges, of course, but also what does high testosterone, high estrogen, low testosterone, low estrogen 
insulin impact? How does it impact male and female physiology differently? So a lot of the men that I'm uh, working with are very high stressed, very focused on career driven lifestyle. And what gets pushed to the wayside is their, their health. And you really need to get down to the building blocks before you actually understand what the therapeutic approach is going to be. And that's where hormones are really easily manipulated and they can make a world of a difference, especially in a male's health. And then you want to prevent, you know, future conditions like prostate cancer and enlarged prostate. And there's a big connection with stress and erectile dysfunction and sexual dysfunction. So it's everything and in between. Think of a urology textbook and I could probably talk about most things in there. (laughs) So let's break it down. So someone with a man with low testosterone, what are they feeling? Like what are their symptoms? Men with low testosterone. Now this is where I disagree with the endocrine society, which I have some guts to disagree with the endocrine society, right? But a lot of people do. And the endocrine society says you need to have low total testosterone and or free and show symptoms. And those symptoms would be? Uh, low libido, inability to gain muscle mass, uh, fatigue, erectile dysfunction is a symptom, although they argue whether testosterone is a therapeutic for it, I would I would say maybe. It can increase risk of cardiovascular disease, so metabolic syndrome is also a risk factor. But basically, what, a, what would a man feel? Low testosterone, low drive, uh, mental fatigue, or basically not able to focus as much as he would so like brain fog. Brain fog. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like inability to make really quick decisions. So that's really important. Uh, low or infrequent morning erections. We call it, the technical term is nocturnal penile tumescence. <laughs> morning wood. Morning wood. Yeah. One of my best friends, Dr. Carrie Jones, who's the medical director for Dutch. Yes. I would, uh, <laughs> I'll say like, have a good night and uh, best wishes to uh, NPT, right? And we would just laugh back and forth because obviously she's a girl and it's just, it's just a funny thing. But that is a symptom. It's like, if you're not waking up with morning erections, it's not diagnostic, but it's definitely a clue. It's like, what is going on here? So uh, those are a few of the symptoms that men might experience. Sure. And then as men age, is it? higher potential to have low testosterone? Certainly. So I believe the statistic is, is after the age of 38, testosterone levels decrease by 1% every year. Okay. But that's statistics. That's what they say that should happen. I don't think that, or that's what they say does happen. I don't think that it should, nor do I think that that's normal. But as you age, testosterone level, total testosterone levels tend to decrease. Well, why does that happen? Well, you haven't built the proper building blocks in your early life with proper muscle mass, right? And as our very good friend Gabrielle would say, is that muscle is the organ of longevity, right? That's right. And I take no credit for that, by the way. That is not <laughs> my lingo. Is but that a Ralph original? No, 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 no. <laughs> Copywritten Dr. Lion. So what you would do is you want to build up those building blocks. But as men age, they're not, they don't have enough muscle mass. They have more adipose tissue. So they're converting a lot more testosterone to estrogen. Also, as you age, your testicles age too. But there's, that doesn't mean that they should. It just means that men are walking around with cell phones in their pockets, laptops on their laps, not allowing for the proper, we call it HPG, hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, which is basically your brain connecting or communicating with your testicles and allowing them to function properly. A lot of people hear of HPA, yeah. hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And then there's HPT, HPT hypothalamic pituitary thyroidal axis. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a, quite a few. And then you could throw the gut in there too, wherever, right. uh, wherever applicable. So when you have this HPT dysfunction, right, the brain then doesn't stimulate the testicles to make testosterone. So most people think, well, oh, it's just a testes issue. No, it's actually a brain issue. So I just had an argument, or not an argument, I had a conversation with a friend. She said, you know, you can't say it's all in your head. Like, that's mean to say. And I say, yes, but it's not completely wrong, right? Because a lot of guys, you could tell a guy, you say, yeah, well, the doctor said it's all in my head. He's saying it's all in your head because he can't figure out what's actually going on. Right. Right. I know what's going on. And yes, it does start in your head. It does start in your brain. Let's be more specific. It's all in your brain. And as you age, that access becomes dysfunctional because you're 
you're stressed out, you don't know how to manage stress, you're not doing the right exercises to manage stress, you're exercising because like you have to, not because it's enjoyable to you. So as you age, those testosterone and those hormones, they get into, they change and then you have high insulin levels, you get insulin resistance, and that is a contributing factor. We can go down the rabbit hole. Trust me, if you want to go through these pathways, I am like, do you have a whiteboard? Let's just like give me a Sharpie and let's go to town. So things that block this access are stress, not sleeping enough, Mm -hmm. poor diet. Yes. So like too much glucose, insulin intake, hitting the water in the bread in the morning. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Like <laughs> and you not lifting, maybe doing too much cardio. Exactly. Right. So I try to tell people to keep their, uh, exercise regimen to try to keep it to less than 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. Right? Because above that point, the testosterone to cortisol ratio starts to flip. So increasing exercise, does in, weight lifting increases your testosterone, but it also can increase your cortisol. Now, if you start going above an hour, then your cortisol starts increasing and your testosterone doesn't increase much more. And then that ratio flips. So, but also other stressors that impact the brain, which a lot of people don't realize it, there's physiological stress and there's a psychological stress and physiological stress. So what are the psychological stress? It's like somebody's yelling in your ear or basically like you wake up and you're worried. And then there's physiological stressors, which are difficulty sleeping, not sleeping or putting too much stress on the body in terms of like a physical workload or an actual toxin to the to the brain like mercury lead heavy metals pcbs pahs which will bpa things like that which will cause a physiological stress and put those two together and the brain tends to become more resistant i see so sometimes we see male patients in the clinic they have low testosterone they have a hard time getting motivated to go work out. We have them strength training, mm-hmm. but like the motiva- it's hard to get them motivated to do it. And I don't know if there's any correlation, but it'd be interesting to hear. We often find that they are hypermobile. Like it's hard for them to stabilize. Like their connective mm-hmm. tissue is like they're, they're double jointed in their elbows and their knees. I don't know if there's any correlation or any study out there, but we find that oftentimes with some of our men with low testosterone. Yeah. What kind of blood work should you should a doctor be ordering what type of blood work would i order you mean yes what <laughs> blood work would ralph <laughs> the no. low testosterone expert order well it's a good question because you know your primary care won't he may not entertain these labs so he'll look at it and say i don't need to know all of this why would that matter to me and that's a good point it may not matter to you but it matters to me right right and i want to know so off the bat testosterone free and total estradiol you want to make sure it's through liquid chromatography, mass spec, so very accurate. SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin. You want to do LH and FSH. You want to check progesterone just to see if there is any elevation. Progesterone is really hard to manage in men, and I don't look at it too much, but it's just a good idea to see. I look at DHT, so DHT is a metabolite of testosterone. I look at IGF. And then I also sometimes look at prolactin. So about nine to 10 tests. Nine to 10 tests. Then I look at insulin, A1C, fasting blood glucose. Is there an umbrella term for those tests? Like I want the full testosterone panel, like the full thyroid panel. <laughs> I want Ralph's panel. I want Ralph's panel. <laughs> I, want, I want the Ralph panel. Um, no, no, they don't. Because you can even... Even some labs, you could get a, a testosterone panel and it'll be free total testosterone like estradiol. And why does it not serve the patient in the highest way? When you don't get all those tests? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you need to understand whether this low testosterone or this hypogonadism, right? Let's, let's speak scientific. Sure. Let's say hypogonadism. Do it. There's like many different terms for low testosterone, by the way. It's, I don't really like the term low T because I don't, it's like, okay, that's cool, bro. Right. right, but there's uh, hypogonadism. There's low, late onset hypogonadism. There's andropause, menopause. So hypogonadism, and now you have to think about: is it primary, secondary, or tertiary? So, is it because primary because the testicles are not making enough testosterone? So there's damage to the testicles, and that's certainly possible. Are they atrophic? Maybe the guy took a lot of testosterone in the past for years, and then like he stopped, and his testicles are just like, whoop, all right. So supplemental testosterone. Supplemental testosterone. Exactly. Then there's secondary hypogonadism where it's the brain. It's in your head. So the brain is not 
telling your testicles to wake up. I did a post on this recently on Instagram and I said primary hypogonadism is when your testicles are not working and your brain is screaming at your nuts. It's like, <laughs> wake up. And they just don't. Was that followed by the watching porn Instagram you did? I just did that one recently. That oh, was a okay. good one. That was got, a good one. That got a good following. It did. I have like like 60 some odd comments and <laughs> we can talk about that too. And then there's tertiary where it's actually the hypothalamus, uh, hypothalamic issue. And that's really hard to test. So you would want to check GNRH, gonadotropic releasing hormone. But nobody really checks that because, can I geek out a little bit? Yeah, do it. Okay. So your hypothalamus then tells- Which is where? Is in your brain. Okay. Is in your brain, which tells your pituitary, which is also in your brain, to release LH and FSH. So gonadotropic releasing hormone. So FSH and LH are gonadotropins. Right, so gonadotropin releasing. See, science is really easy if you just know what thing mean things mean. If you just know the whole new language. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole new language. So I have I speak three languages: English, Italian, and like hormonal. <laughs> so GnRH is released from the hypothalamus to the pituitary, but there's a vein, or we call it a portal system. It's the hypothalamic pituitary portal vein, which connects the hypothalamus and the pituitary, and that's in your brain. So. It's a very short vessel structure, and that's the best way to test for GnRH. But nobody's going in your brain to test it. No. No. So, And it's pulsatile. It changes throughout the day. So if you check it in, in the morning or you check it in the afternoon, it could change. So actually, I should mention this, that when you uh, get your testosterone levels done, like if your doctor's checking your T levels at you know, 2.30 in the afternoon, not accurate. You want the same time. So like before 8.30, 9 a.m. is probably the best time to get your testosterone levels checked. Yeah, that's insane. Yep. And you, because that is, that's why sleep is so important. Slow wave sleep is when we release the most FSH and LH and that happens overnight. So while we're doing that overnight, we're releasing these gonadotropic releasing hormones. And if you're not sleeping, then you're not releasing those hormones and then you're out of luck. What is the most common allopathic prescribed? So if, so, if a doctor sees that the man has low testosterone, yeah. what is the typical prescription? I mean, what are they giving? What are they... Right. It, well, what are most doctors giving? Yeah. Not Ralph, just most doctors. Okay. And then we'll get to Ralph's. The, the non-Ralph protocol is typically uh, topical testosterone. Okay, so like cream for cream the that they put on their shoulder and then they're out for the day and they just like let that dissolve and absorb. Not a fan of that whatsoever. Number one is I don't know how much is being absorbed. Okay. okay. Your skin cells have aromatase enzyme. Your skin contains aromatase and contains five alpha reductase. So aromatase converts testosterone to estrogen and five alpha reductase converts testosterone to DHT. You have the most aromatase and uh, 5-alpha reductase enzymes and the skin on your scrotum. So don't put it there, right? <laughs> don't put your testosterone gel there, but you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Yeah, I'm going to put testosterone. It just makes so much sense, uh, yeah. you would think, but no. You know, get a bigger boner. Like, that'll help. <laughs> like, no, no, don't do that. But then you have the issue of, am I sweating, right? And then if it's hairy, you know, am I actually absorbing it or is it just going to stay in the area? Typically, I would see testosterone levels increase slightly, but they increase in proportionally to estrogen. So estrogen also will increase. So I don't like that approach. And then the second option, they usually do um, injection. And where you'll get an injection maybe like once a week, once every two weeks, depends on the form. And then other options are they do pellets. So where they inject a pellet into you and that stays in you for like three to six months, depending on the dose. So it's like slow release. Slow release. Yeah. Okay. It slowly dissolves in the body. They did that a lot at NYU. A few of the andrologists there would do that because it's easy. You don't have to worry about anything. You just go along with your day. And then there's also, there's patches. There's a scrotal patch, which I don't like because obviously of the enzymes there. There's a other topical patch that you just put on and you change that and there's there's actually a new approach where they're doing buccal. So they're basically putting a dissolvable patch on your gums and that'll get dissolved. And it's actually not too bad because you bypass the liver, you bypass any aromatase, but absorption can be a little bit 
of an issue and you know then you're swallowing some of it and if you're swallowing some of it like does that cause any issues with your liver yeah and does that go hand in hand with lifestyle recommendations typically they typically don't they typically don't it's like okay you have low testosterone so we're just going to give you testosterone they don't even check i mean they may check fsh and lh and see if it's an issue but most of the time they're just looking at testosterone total testosterone if it's low supplemented if it's not low then you're good but then what is the range for low and not low right because now we haven't we can get into this conversation of what are these lab ranges actually telling us right so when you are getting you get a lab test done whether it's for thyroid for testosterone for lipids you are comparing the fifth to the 95th percentile right so that means if you fall within this range, some doctors say you're normal. I say, no, you're just within the range, which does not necessarily mean normal, right? right? So the 5th to 95th percentile is you fall within that two standard deviations of the mean, of the average, right? So even if you're on the low end and it's you're, still within range, you're low Yeah, 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 you're low. Yeah, definitely low-ish, yeah. but it depends on who you ask. And they would say, oh, well, no, you're low and it's normal. And I would say you're low- and let's optimize it. I mean, I would love to ask any physician who says, oh, that's normal. I would say, okay, let me just talk to you about something. You're in med school, okay? And This is a stubborn Ralph coming. This is the stubborn. <laughs> this is like, this is the straight up thick-headed Italian. As my, my family would say, capatosta, uh, right? It's like, hard, like thick head, like hard, hard head, right? So I would say, okay, you're in med school and your goal is to, let's just say be valedictorian or like, top of your class, right? And the average is an 85, right? And I said, you got a 70 on every single test, right? That means you're below average, perhaps maybe even like a standard deviation or two below the average. You still graduate as a medical doctor, but are you happy with that? Some would say, yeah, I am happy with that. I would not be happy with that. I do not like to, I don't want, I don't want to be less than average, Right. Nobody wants to be average. I, I'm, I don't. Oh, I just want to get by. No, that's not how I function. And cool if that's you. That that's cool. But when it comes to hormones, you wanna. I want to be like alpha. Yeah, robust. I wanna, yeah, I want to be like a heavy hitter. Right. Yeah. And um, and athletes too. Athletes like, yeah. I don't want to be you know the fifteenth best best quarterback in the NFL. I want to be like Tom Brady. I want to be Aaron Rodgers. I want to be that guy. Right. And most men would want to be Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I mean, especially in New York. Oh, opposite of New York. Okay. A lot of guys want to be Eli Manning. Uh, I'm not a giant fan, but I can understand. So, yeah, you fall within that range, but that doesn't mean you're optimal. Like, I don't want to be the 10th percentile of the average testosterone level. Like, that is not, and especially if you're 30 years old or 40 years old, like, you don't want to be that. So, I have different ranges depending on age. So, I, I like to see men above 800 nanograms per deciliter, which would put them, if they're not supplementing. And then when it comes to uh, free testosterone, I like to see them above 10 to 12 nanograms per deciliter of, of testosterone, free testosterone. So, how does testosterone levels, you talked a little bit about it, affect muscle growth? Or even just maintaining muscle mass. Yeah. So it actually has a lot to do with the androgen receptors. And androgen receptors are testosterone receptors, right? So it all comes down to the receptors. And what does that really mean? It's like knocking on the door. You could could give somebody all the testosterone that you want. But if their androgen receptors are not as responsive as another's, it's like knocking on the door of an empty house, right? You're not going to get a response. And we see this, right? Like there's a reason why I'm not a pro football player, or pro soccer player, or, or, I mean, there's a reason why you look at like some athletes and you're like that guy, LeBron James there, this guy is a specimen. Like he must be an alien, like from space jam. Right. Right. So, and that's because of his genetics. Well, what, when you say, oh, it's genetic or it's hereditary or he's blessed with this, you know, this DNA. It really, what we're talking about there is like, how do his receptors respond to these hormones? Is he more insulin sensitive? Is he more androgen sensitive? So these receptors would, uh, the testosterone binds to the receptors and it actually causes a translation and transcription or basically it tells your DNA to make more muscle or make better muscle and recover better. And that's really what it comes down to. And you can see oftentimes in animals when they get castrated, they get very flimsy, their joints. You were mentioning this, like a lot of your male patients, you see like their 
more hyper mobile. I wish I was more mobile. Like I have the flexibility <laughs> of a rock. It's horrible. We can talk about that. Yes, I have to. Sh- oh boy, yeah, not good. Blame my testosterone. <laughs> so how does testosterone affect? So for thinking of the person who wants to optimize, maybe from an aesthetic level, mm-hmm. how does testosterone affect body fat? body composition yeah. when people are trying to really maybe cut weight or lose lose the mm-hmm. fat? So there is no straight up answer to this. And I am very involved in the research. And we know when you take men out of low testosterone to a normal testosterone level, and I'm using these words very loosely, very, very loosely. I'm saying when levels are less than 300 or less than 400, and you put them to five and 600, you notice improvements. Libido gets better. Muscle mass gets better. Body fat reduces. So we know testosterone has that impact. But does it do that when you take a man from 600 to 1,000? Does Is more always better? And I would, I would suspect yes. But the research, I don't even want to say that the research says no. We had, Nobody's done it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think, and unfortunately, the best people to ask this and look at this, and you're going to laugh, are like bodybuilders. Right. Right? And like fitness pros, right? Who they probably will admit. I don't know a, a bodybuilder who would admit that he's not on testosterone and HGH and everything else under the sun. But you look at them and say, oh, okay, you get this guy really high physiologic levels of testosterone plus the diet and lifestyle and the damage that they do to their bodies, right? Then maybe higher testosterone levels are beneficial, but I can't say more testosterone means lower body fat, but we do know that higher levels of testosterone are inversely correlated with like diabetes and metabolic syndrome. So more testosterone, less body fat in terms of, or uh, less metabolic syndrome. So people will respond better to it. Is there too high testosterone? I haven't seen that data. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't. And yeah, and I'm actually digging into that right now for a patient. And I'm, I, you know, he has high testosterone levels naturally. I'm just like, okay, is this bad? It's confusing as hell. Like, I don't know what's going on. Right. So now I have to go into my whole hormonal pathway and cascade, like 30 more hormones that we, we just discussed. Literally, I go through it down like every single cycle. And then I do a lot of the Dutch test. I do the Dutch hormonal test, um, the urinary test, because it checks the metabolites of these hormones. So it tells me where they're going and what was there before. So why is this a better test than, say, other tests? The Dutch, um, I'm going to sound like a salesman for them. I get nothing <laughs> from this company. I just love the test. This um, is uh, Carrie. Yeah, Carrie yeah. Jones. I mean, she's brilliant. So the reason why I like this test is because it's it checks the urinary metabolites of these hormones and there's several ways that you get rid of hormones feces urine through sweat right and then some would argue saliva i'm not a fan of salivary testing because there's enzymes uh in your saliva and in your glands that actually can metabolize cortisol can metabolize testosterone and estrogen so you don't really get total levels right you don't get complete accurate levels so I do urine. The great thing about urine is that what goes into the bladder stays in the bladder, right? Until you get rid of the bladder. Right. Thing that's the thing, the urine. So by using the bladder as a reservoir, you can measure what the body's trying to get rid of. And your kidneys are en- uh, have enzymes in them that we're trying to get rid of testosterone, right? So like when they do performance enhancing drug testing, like in MLB, which guys get caught all the time or in sports, what are they testing? Urine. The urine. Yeah. So, because that's where the hormones are going to go. I see. So, this is why I really like that test because it actually gives me a pathway of, is the testosterone going down the alpha or the beta pathway? Is progesterone going down the alpha or beta pathway? Is cortisol, is it being metabolized to the cortisone or the cortisol metabolites? Then that tells me, you know, how well their thyroid might be functioning because a lot of these enzymes are influenced by thyroid hormone. So, a bunch of different factors go into this to try to understand. And this is where... Again, I feel blessed that I have this like pathway-like 
brain yeah because i see it and then i'm like it's like a puzzle piece and i just put it here and i put it there i'm like oh that makes sense here most doctors would not connect testosterone or your prolactin levels to your thyroid but in fact they actually are because very high prolactin levels can stimulate the reproduction of thyroid of tsh so your tsh could be elevated if your prolactin is elevated interesting do most allopathic doctors know about the dutch test no no <laughs> like no please no on. they don't a lot do if they just read about it and look into it it really depends on i mean like gabrielle she's a do but basically a, a conventional medical training is very well aware of it and she yeah. does other she does other testing as well so it really depends on who you ask but typically no okay What's the Ralph protocol for low testosterone? Oh, we didn't okay. go through that. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. So if it's you like, sign get up, get your notebook at, out, no, right? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. So give me your name and your email address, and then yes. you get this great PDF. <laughs> your I need your social security, your credit card number, and the name of your firstborn. <laughs> I just want to preface this with one thing: is my goal in life is to not be famous. My goal in life, really, I know people are like, oh yeah, bullshit. Like no. Genuinely, like, I don't want to be famous. I just want to be the guy who people say he just wanted to help, right? And he know he loves this stuff, and he just, like, that's who I'm going to talk to about my testosterone, right? I don't need to be, like, Dr. Oz. Like, I don't, I don't want to be like Dr. Oz, right? But I just want to be known for my brain, I guess. So I don't do this for any type of, like, income-based aspect. It's just, like... I geek out and that like I get off on that like cool right okay so um, so this is the legacy is that what you're talking <laughs> this, you're this, this is the preface to the legacy this is the, <laughs> the, the forward to my book um, no I don't have any book soon one yeah. day it's one day I'll figure that one out I have a good story I'll want somebody will know one day so the Ralph protocol Ralph protocol first starts with uh, let's figure out what's going on is it primary, secondary, or tertiary. Uh, typically, I disregard tertiary because it's hard to test. So I say, is it primary or secondary? Then I look at the thyroid. Is the thyroid involved? And a lot of people disregard the thyroid, but thyroid hormone actually activates cyclic AMP, right? And cyclic AMP is just basically a, a messenger. It's a second messenger in the body. And your latex cells, which are the cells in your testicles that make testosterone, are very much dependent on cyclic AMP to make testosterone. It stimulates something called STAR, um, which I can't remember. It's steroidogenic adrenal receptor or something like that. I just call it STAR. Sounds special. Easy enough. Yeah. And when you have uh, cyclic AMP, it actually activates this receptor and then it goes ahead and it, it stimulates production of testosterone and thyroid hormones essential for that. The other thing that does that is lactic acid. So that is why heavy tra weight training, anaerobic training is actually, I would call steroidogenic or basically increases testosterone levels. So I look at those aspects and I say, okay, what is the primary etiology? What is going on here? Can you look at a full thyroid panel? Because I know a lot mm -hmm. of our patients just get TSH. Yeah, what and then I and then I'm you know, then I have to send them back. And be like, go get a full it, thyroid panel. Yeah, it's like getting a happy meal and only getting chicken nuggets. Like, <laughs> no, I want the fries. I want the the gift. The I want the toy. I want the soda. I want the <laughs> you know apple pie thing. Right. Uh, by the way, those are from like my fat days. <laughs> that is my childhood right there. My childhood. I love chicken nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> I was like seven years old, had getting like 20 piece chicken nuggets. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They don't ever go away. If you want to see my body comp, I can show you where the chicken nuggets are. <laughs> those will not go away. Right lower quadrant. If you pinch there, those are the chicken nuggets. <laughs> Left lower quadrant is more of the pizza. Oh man. So my protocol. Yeah. My so protocol, your protocol. Sorry. Yeah. I, so I checking the carried, thyroid. Got carried away with chicken nuggets. I look at the thyroid, TSH, free T3, free T4, T4, total T3, reverse T3, and then thyroid antibodies. I need to know what's going on total. All the hormones that I mentioned to you that I test, the testosterone, FSH, LH. So I look and see what's going on there. If the issue actually comes out to be a thyroid issue, I treat the thyroid first. Always. Always treat the thyroid first. You really should. Because? Because it's the engine. 
right? It's the foundation of your every metabolic function in the body. Thi- I mean, you take somebody's thyroid out and everything slows down. So you need to treat the thyroid first, absolutely. So then a lot of things that I use for thyroid support, number one, I like to try to cut out gluten and I like to cut out dairy because of the casein and the gluten can be um, problematic for people who have autoimmune thyroiditis or Hashimoto's. So definitely want to look at that. A great herb, which hits multiple different angles, is ashwagandha. Latin is withania somnifera, and I use a particular formulation, KSM 66. It's not a, a brand. It's one of the researched forms of ashwagandha, and ashwagandha is ec- excellent for subclinical hypothyroidism. So when- Is it a certain brand you like? I do. Is it okay to share? Sure. I like Jarrow brand. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and you can find that anywhere. And again, it's Whole a- t- yeah, yeah, and it's like, you don't need to buy the professional brand from like- my online store, which does not exist, right? It's like, go get this. It's, this is the good one, man. Like, I use it myself. And it has KSM 66 in it. There's another formulation that use Sensoril, which is another form of ashwagandha, which I'm not a fan of. I mean, it, it works, but I like KSM 66 because most of the research is on improving sperm fertility and uh, testosterone levels. But ashwagandha works really well at supporting thyroid health. But it also works in improving uh, sperm motility and increasing testosterone levels. So I like to look at that. And also women could take ashwagandha. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. For men, I usually dose it at 600 to 900 milligrams. For women, it really depends. 300 to 600, it really depends. So I look at the thyroid first. Thyroid looks okay. And then I'll typically address lifestyle. So diet, exercise, sleep, sleep over everything. That's my motto. Sleep over every single thing in the world. So if it was like, I'm going to get up and exercise or I'm going to get extra sleep. Sleep over everything. Over everything. All right. You do more damage if you wake up an hour early to try to get an extra hour of training in. Because if the end goal is to exercise more, then yeah, go ahead. Like wake up early and exercise more. But if the end goal is to improve performance, improve body composition, then get the extra hour because that extra hour of sleep can be the difference between a proper stimulus of testosterone production from the gonadotropins or not. Do you find that people with low testosterone, like the thyroid issue is there 70% of the time, almost all the time? So are, is thyro- hypothyroidism in yeah. combination with low testosterone? Yeah. I mean, are they like hand-in-hand partners? They're not hand-in-hand partners. Okay. Very common, very frequent, but not hand-in-hand partners always. So I definitely have seen correlations, right? But correlations are correlations. They're not causative, right? right? So not always, but it definitely is something to address. And I always optimize the thyroid before actually optimizing the androgens. So then I'll look at the androgens and then I look at, okay, it's a D. Did I mention DHEAS? I didn't mention DHEAS. Oh my God. Okay. You have to check DHEAS, not DHEA, DHEA, the sulfated version, because it's a slow, it's a, it's a storage form and it's what's most representative of actual body storage of DHEA. So DHEAS is a precursor to testosterone. And if those levels are low, you don't have enough raw material. So you need to increase DHEAS. And then I'll look at that. I keep testosterone supplementation as a last option. Versus the traditional model is the first option. Exactly. Kind of like how we spoke earlier, like the gel. Like no gel for me. Got it. Unless the guy's like, oh God, I I, I hate getting, I don't want to take the pill. I don't want to do the shot. I don't want to do this. I'm like, all right, bro, just do this. (laughs) Like go that way. Right. Right. So then I look at uh, DHEA levels. So if DHEA levels are low, I'll supplement with DHEA and try to get their levels above 300. Right. And then the other options I definitely look at are, there's other herbs that work really well, like Tonka Ali, Eurocomia longfolia, which is a Malaysian herb. It's an Asian herb, also called longjack or LJ100. The research is impressive, but it's, uh, it might be a little bit biased, but clinically it works really, really well. Another herb is shalajit, which is actually not an herb. It's a, it's a sulfur, it's like a mineral. It's like a clay type of compound, really good for detox, but also very effective in improving testosterone levels. Another one is fenugreek. So there is some research at very high doses of fenugreek, which is the same fenugreek that you find like in Indian cuisine, but concentrated and extract will uh, increase testosterone levels as well. So if I really want to go after the testosterone, I do that. But I, I also want to address the HPA axis and the HPG axis. So then I'll look 
and check cortisol levels. If cortisol levels are really high, then I like phosphatidylserine. I like adaptogens like ashwagandha. But if cortisol levels are really low, I like more adaptogens like rhodiola and Panax ginseng and eleuthero or Siberian ginseng, right? So I, I'm not, I can't give you one answer. I really wish I could. For the cortisol levels, is that also depends on the timing of the day when they're tested, no? Yes, absolutely. So this is why I use the Dutch test because you do a four-time sample. So you ah, check waking, overnight waking, afternoon, and evening. And you're, I mean, a lot of doctors check serum cortisol levels and you might as well just like throw it away. It doesn't mean anything. So I use salivary, excuse me, urinary hormonal testing to check for cortisol. And if cortisol levels are really high, then I try to address that. Is it a sleep issue? Are you not sleeping? Are you using your computer and electronic before bed? Like what is actually the culprit here? And I try to narrow it down. I'm sure there's a million other things. I usually know what to do when I see it. I just, I can't think of. So like what are the top three things that you see men are doing wrong that could contribute to low testosterone? Not sleeping. Not sleeping. So they're getting like four to five hours. There's a really good study, really, really good study. I always talk about this study and I've talked about it many, many times before. And it's just like my poster boy of how important sleep is. You ready for this? You part of the study? I'm not part of the study, oh, but I should man, have been. You should have been. I should have been. Let's do it again. I'm like, hey, <laughs> let's, let's do it this way. Right. <laughs> you know, I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, I saw this new study on testosterone and like I rip it apart or I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. And then I think these people should hire me. Like I <laughs> collaborate with you in the next study. Yeah, like you don't have to pay me. I like this. This is fun. Like <laughs> buy me food and we're good. Call it a day, right? So there was a study that they deprived men of sleep of less than five hours, and they found that when multiple days in a row, or just yes, okay, multiple days. So it was a consistent sleep deprivation. I believe they did it for more than two weeks of four to five hours of sleep. I feel like that's like a typical New Yorker. Yeah, the city that never sleeps, right? I sleep in this city. So they deprived those men of sleep and they saw that their testosterone levels plummeted. And when they got them to sleep seven hours, their testosterone increased equivalent to what they would get if they had exogenous testosterone injections. Wow. So what do you think about the people, like some of the biohackers out there that are saying, it's not about the amount, it's about the quality of your sleep? Yeah, I agree. But- it depends on can you get quality sleep in five hours? And how do you know that? Like, because you feel better? Your aura ring? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, definitely the aura <laughs> ring is is a great way of measuring it. Do we do a sleep study? I don't know how we completely can measure that. And I think you can't argue with wanting to get seven hours of sleep. But if you are that guy who wants to five hours and live off of coffee for your whole life, then, you know, I'll see you in a few years when that doesn't work anymore. Right. What are two other mistakes that men are commonly making? They overtrain. I see that a lot. They train way too much. And I am guilty of this many, many times. Yes, really? I know. I know. I'm not perfect as much is as it, I... Is it the 16-year-old? Yes, it's the 16-year-old <laughs> who's like, don't get fat. Don't get fat. Get big. In terms of looking at testosterone, what is overtraining? Overtraining is also like endurance training can be overtraining but frequency. So if you are training way too much, not allowing or giving the body enough time to heal, that is a stressor. Exercise can be an output of stress, but it can be an input of stress. Now, Michael Phelps and a lot of, Usain, Usain Bolt and a lot of these, LeBron James, they're stressed during their sports season. And I bet you if I did some biometric measuring on them or biochemical measuring on them, I would see that they're stressed out. So they're putting a lot of this, this stress into their body and unable to get rid of it. But for the typical person, stress is a releaser, right? Like I exercise because it makes me feel good. But sometimes you can exercise way too much and that causes you, your body of uh, to have the significant amounts of stress. But that's in combination with going to, job, going to your job, worrying about the stocks, worrying about these numbers, worrying about your kid who just got the tension. Like we have a million different stressors in the body. So what I try to say is we need to reduce the allostatic load. We need to reduce the threshold as to which our body can withstand this stress. And that's what adaptogens do. I think they increase our stress threshold. I don't know if they actually change, like they don't, they can help our body adapt to these stressors. And really what we're doing is changing the stress threshold. The other thing too about professional athletes is they don't have to do anything else. Like you're saying, like some of our professional runners, they do 160 miles a week, but they are literally recovering every other minute of the day. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes they can do that, right? But 
the average person is also putting a stressor on the rest of their body and other aspects. And it's a lot of mental too, because remember growth hormone is a recovery hormone and that's released when you rest. Right. right? So this is like the poster child of why not to do double soul cycle classes or yes, pretty much <laughs> double that. berries class. Are you guilty? <laughs> no, I oh, used to, okay. and I was getting adrenal fatigue. Yeah. I, I have never done like two a days. And I just know that my body can't handle that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, number one is sleep. Number two, or lack of sleep. Number two is overtraining. And number three is, well, I can't say like poor diet, but they eat a insulogenic diet. They're eating high levels of sugary processed foods. And it doesn't necessarily have to be processed. It's just be a lot, a lot of carbohydrates, right? Even like a lot of beans and a lot of like Ezekiel bread or sweet potatoes in high amounts. That, that causes increases in insulin. And insulin is a pro-inflammatory hormone. It's also anab- it's anabolic, but it's, it's a pro-inflammatory hormone because it activates aromatase enzyme which converts testosterone to estrogen, right? So insulin can do that as well. And it increases body fat, right? So at too high of a level of insulin, it, it becomes problematic. And, you know, that could even be with, you know, way too much, um, not just too many carbs, but too many calories. Because insulin responds to carbohydrates and total calorie response. So the whole idea of like eating six meals a day, I understand why people think about that. Because if you keep the calories low, you minimize the insulin response. But we're finding now that actually that's not completely accurate. So one population that might eat be high, what is it, insulin, Mm -hmm. would be potentially like the vegetarian or the vegan population. Yes. Do you find there a potential correlation of that population with low testosterone? So I read a study and for the life of me, I save every study that I read. Um, I use a program called Mendeley. Okay. And every single study that I read that I like, I put it in my testosterone file. (laughs) I should show you my testosterone file. It's huge. It's big. (laughs) And I can't find it. You can't find the study. I can't find the study. It had to do with diet and hormonal levels and didn't in the title didn't talk about vegetarianism and it didn't talk about testosterone in the title. So it's impossible for me to find because it it's hidden somewhere in the article. Right. But they found the correlation. Again, corollary does not mean causative, right? But they found the correlation with a high vegetarian, high vegetable-based diet, no meat diet with uh, lower levels of testosterone, lower levels of free testosterone. And I thought perhaps this is because, you know, they're not having enough protein. Perhaps they're eating too many uh, estrogen-based foods. They didn't say why. But I said, okay, that, I mean, that's enough for me to say, yeah, okay, you don't want to eat like soy protein and uh, have soy protein shakes and tofu all day because, you know, that can be problematic. So I think plants, nobody can argue plants are good for you. Like nobody's going to say don't eat Brussels sprouts, right? Like that's just, that's we all can agree that plants are good for you, right? What about uh, Stephen Gundry? Oh, boy. Is that the guy who, like, uh, the how not to die? Oh, Stephen Gundry. Oh, yes, that's that guy. I think he might be the only one that... <laughs> yeah. Well, also Diadamo, Peter Diadamo, right? That, oh. That is, a, that is a play on Peter Diadamo's work on lectins. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Diadamo, that's a blood type. Oh. Doesn't Gundry talk about blood type in his A little work? bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a play on Diadamo's work. So I haven't read Gundry's work, so I, I don't want to comment and say like, oh, bad, this is good. Besides him, I think we can probably all agree that broccoli is good for you, yes. right? But I do think if you are depriving yourself of protein and healthy fats, then that too can impact your hormonal synthesis. Because remember, you put a stress on the body and it's going to trickle down somewhere. And why does it trickle down to hormonal issues? And some men, I don't know, but then we can go to the genetics of all of it. I mean, we can go down Yeah, so you have like a little, you have a background in genomics. Yeah, so I help Dr. Peter Diadamo work on his uh, Opus 23 program. And for maybe the last two years of med school and then two years after med school, I was really just neck deep into the genomics aspect of medicine. So MTHFR, COMT, APOE. So these are like genetic markers. Yes, those are genetic markers. Found, you could find it if you did a 23andMe study? 23andMe is testing some of them, not all of them now. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. So like MTHFR is the uh, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase enzyme, which is responsible for recycling folic acid and B12. COMT is catechol-O-methyltransferase, which is an enzyme that is responsible 
responsible for methylating. Really important for you to get rid of your estrogens with COMT. Then there's APOE, which is a apolipoprotein E, which is found on certain cholesterol, and it determines how well you can eliminate certain LDL particles, the quote-unquote bad cholesterol, but also as a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. So that's E4. So yeah, looking at all these different aspects, putting it together, you can understand, like if a man had a lot of COMT issues and MTHFR issues, and uh, we call it GST glutathione S transferase issues and um, GSTM, right? So, and then GC glutamyl still S transferase, basically making glutathione. Please don't quote me on these acronyms. I'm I just know what they are when I see them. Then it impacts detoxification of estrogens. And then you have to look at the 2, 4, 16 series of estrogens because, you know, it's not just estradiol that's bad. It's what the estradiol turns into that can be problematic. And that's really what you have to look at to make sure we're not causing damage down the line. So a man has low testosterone. There's a full special testosterone blood work Mm -hmm. that you mentioned earlier. There's a full thyroid panel. Mm -hmm. There's making sure he's getting enough sleep and not overtraining. And then there's this genetic portion. Right. Is there anything else you look at? I mean, that's a pretty, that's like way fuller and broader than anyone I know. Oh, social aspect. Yeah. I see a lot of men who uh, have erectile dysfunction and they don't understand why. And I, you know, I, I, pry and I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? And like, they have relationship issues, like with their partner, right? Male or female, or they're with a new partner and they're, you know, shy or they have performance anxiety. Like that's a big deal. It's a stressor and it impacts your life or they're like a bookworm and they don't go out and they just stay home and don't laugh. That's not me. I was like, wait a second. Sounds like you, Ralph. <laughs> no, I will be completely honest. Like med school, I got my dual ND LAC at the same time. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I did it all in four years. How, did you not have adrenal fatigue? It was like written on my forehead. <laughs> certainly was. And it took me like two years to recover. Yeah. Really did. But I was doing like 40 credits a semester. I told one, uh, That's insane. I went on a date the other night, which also alludes to the fact that I'm single, which actually can be a problem, <laughs> you know, if you spent the past four years studying, or not the past <laughs> four years, but four years studying during med school. A rule during med school for me was you don't date classmates. Even though in naturopathic school, they're like 98% women. <laughs> exactly right. Like, And all the girls are pissed off and they were talking to my best friend. They're like, and one of my best friends, her name is Tara. She's a naturopath as well. And they were like, why does she get to hang out with Ralph? Because she's my friend. Yeah. Right? We could be friends. We're all pissed off. Right? Maybe they weren't pissed off. I don't know. Let's see. After they listen to this podcast, they're like, Ralph's full of shit. They're like, oh, Ralph's single now. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph's single. Let me text him. I'm picky as hell. Anywho. Italian. Right. So I did all those four years and I was, I was saying, you know, I wasn't social. Like I didn't go out much because I was in school from eight to eight. Right. And that is, it takes a toll on the body. And a lot of men are just like workaholics and they're like, Oh, I'm just going to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. And that takes a toll on your personal because you need to socialize. We're social species, right? We need to be around other people, but also you need to be around family. You need to be around your partner. You need to socialize. You need to connect. You need to have that uh, emotional connection. That's why in my recent post about pornography is like men are getting off on porn right? They're watching porn, like these girls with like super big boobs and like fake butts and like men who are like chiseled and really well endowed, right? And then they go and with their partner who may not be superficial like that or unrealistic. And maybe they look at themselves like, oh, I really have this like this flab here. I'm fat here. I'm not confident in my ability. And then it translates to their, to the bedroom. And they're trying to compare themselves to that guy that they just saw on the internet and it's unrealistic and now you have a relationship with a with a computer screen and you don't have a relationship with a person next to you and that could affect testosterone levels 100 percent. wow in one of the book chapters that i wrote you know the wild cornell series yeah, yeah I, I co-authored a chapter with geo on male andropause and there's a case study in there i think the case studies in that chapter it's about a patient who he had low testosterone and in real life he had issues with his partner. And after, I mean, we fixed the issue very clearly with a lot of lifestyle and diet and exercise and supplements. But the kicker really was like, that well, last piece, like getting out of that toxic environment. Wow. What do you see with women with low testosterone or do you see that? 
Yeah, so I see women with low testosterone uh, typically caused by long-term birth control. Okay. Yeah, because what happens is that oral contraceptives like estrogen and progesterone, they'll turn off the HPA axis and the HPG axis, right? So they turn off your brain's production of LH and FSH, right? And you can't make testosterone if you don't have enough LH or FSH because in women, it's really made by the adrenal glands and a little bit by the ovaries. So if your ovaries are being shut down, right, with these birth control pills, then your testosterone is going to suffer as well. And then I see the opposite where testosterone levels are really high in women. And then then that looks at more like a PCOS, right? But PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's not really a, a disease, right? And you don't need to have cysts on your ovaries to be PCOS, right? You could just have high testosterone. And but oftentimes I just see high testosterone, no other symptoms of PCOS. And I'm like, yeah, well, this is a this is a hyperinsulinemic. This is a metabolic syndrome type of approach that or a type of setup that we want to fix. You fix that, you reduce the carb t- intake, you make them more insulin resistant, uh, sensitive, it make them work out, those testosterone levels will regulate themselves. Interesting. So I know naturopaths often look at the tongue as mm-hmm. kind of like a gateway into the body. If you had a man with low testosterone, would there be signs on the tongue? So actually, that's originally a traditional Chinese medicine. Okay. Right. So I'm an acupuncturist. So naturopaths do look at the tongue, uh, but acupuncturists are the experts in it. So from a Chinese medicine background, which you also have, what would you see? Or what, would you see anything on the yeah, tongue? You, you, the tongue typically would be pale. Okay. Right. So that would be a signal of uh, like a blood deficiency or a basically an overall deficiency. Uh, oftentimes you would see scalloping on the sides. And a lot of people think scalloping on the tongue is a spleen chi deficiency, which means that the spleen, which is involved in the digestion and uh, assimilation of food, but that actually can be a liver chi stagnation. And when you have liver chi stagnation, that's present on the sides because the the, the liver is represented on the tongue on the sides. And when the chi is stagnant, it contracts and it creates that scalloping type of look. So like, like the indentations of the exactly teeth around right. the side of the tongue. It, but it's really not indentations of the teeth. Like that's... Oh, it's not? No, it's not. Oh. It's, it's the muscle contraction of the tongue. So could you literally eat something that maybe disagrees with you or there's a reaction of the liver and then immediately see that on the tongue? No, the tongue actually takes months for it to show. Oh, okay. The pulse is much quicker. So I would look I would I would feel the pulse and check the pulse and say, Okay, well, adrenal issues are typically present on a weak kidney pulse. The kidneys are really gonna be the organs that you wanna target for improving uh, hormonal aspects in men. So, you know, kidneys make the jing. Jing is like your essence. It's like what you're born with. You get it from your parents. You can't make more of it, but So there's a limited supply. You are limited. Got it. Exactly. And what makes you lose more jing is a lot of sex, a lot of exercise, and a lack of sleep. So how can we build more jing? There's a few herbs like velvet deer antler. Where does one find this? Uh, Other than Camwo down in downtown yeah, New York. Yeah, Camwo. Would, <laughs> I don't know. Camwo might have it, but there's a lot of different sources for it. I'm using one right now that was sent to me by Superfeast, and he is in Australia. But he gets it from China, and the velvet from the deer antler is uh, sustainably resourced and checked. So, yes, so velvet deer antler is a very strong jing, yin and yang, kidney yin and yang tonifying herb. Amazing. Actually, Ray Lewis was, I think, suspended or warned when he was taking it when he was playing football because it can actually increase IGF levels. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. What would, what's your hope for like the men of the world with low testosterone? What is my hope for yeah, them? Yeah, like, I mean, like, like you know, you don't want you don't want to be famous. I don't. It comes with a lot of baggage. <laughs> I mean, it'd be nice to be known. Yeah, but you, you know, you have this like passion, and I feel like really good practitioners have two things: they always stay curious, mm-hmm. right? So they're always researching, and they're always willing to dig deeper, especially for their patients, and they walk their talk, which you obviously do. Correct. So, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of men that potentially have low testosterone, maybe are suffering, are like putting this cream on themselves that there's a better way? Yeah. My hope is that men come to the realization that they are very much in control of their health, that the answer is not always give me more testosterone or give me this. It's more of, I want to be a better human being. I want to be a better man for my wife, for my partner, for my kids, for my family, because men put a lot of pressure on themselves. 
They really do. They, they put pressure on themselves to succeed. They put pressures on themselves to be breadwinners. They put pressure on themselves to be buff and tough and strong and, you know, macho. And I just want to show men, like, that's not real life. That's not always the case. Like, it's okay to spoon. Like, it's okay, <laughs> right? Like, nobody's going to judge you, man. But my real goal is to show men that I really get excited when when I get a man's hormonal levels optimal with like very few things. Like I need you to sleep seven hours. I need you to stop eating that crap, cut out the beer, exercise, lift heavy things, right? But do it well and take a few pills a day and you should get better. And I want them to be able to come back and say, you know what? I just had an amazing few months with my partner. We went out and sex life was great. And, you know, we really connected. And I feel like I'm myself again. You know, like, that's how I feel. Like, I feel like like I can rule the world. Like, I really do. Like, I feel like I'm like, I, I wake up. I'm like, all right, what am I going to conquer today? Right. And I want men to like, feel like they can conquer anything. Nice. And where can people find you? In New York on the streets, hanging out. <laughs> um, you can find me in my website, drralphesposito.com. I'm most active on Instagram at dr.ralphesposito. Most active on Instagram and and Twitter sometimes. I, I use Twitter just to so people can bug me and tell me what to look for. And it's it's a, it's a good news feed for me. Like I yeah. pick up on a lot of things. Nice. But Instagram is probably where you can... And you post a lot of like studies that you've you, that you've read that you find interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really should be posting more. I just don't have all the time because I'm reading a bunch of stuff and I'm and part part of my job as a research analyst is you know you read this stuff and you need to write about it. And I'm busy writing for my practice rather than writing for Instagram. But it's hard to do both. It really is. It really is because then I have to like I'm writing on a scientific level and then I need to like write for the layman. Yeah. That's a lot of work. That that's it's hard to flip your brain over. Yeah, you know, I think I have a good way of explaining stuff to the layperson. I think I've grasped that idea really well, but it's effort to write it. And then pictures and it has to look cool and like Carrie's just like, You need to post more and I said You do. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I will post more, right. I promise. By the time this comes out, you'll see four more posts. All right. Four weeks. Oh, one a week. Okay, I could do that. Could You're do like that. all Labor Day to do this. All right. Okay. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys. So much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here. 